Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true, people. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life. That's right. Craft of writing, business of writing, but also just how to be a person who writes and all the things you go through. I write about it. Jennifer Paris writes about it. Every, anyway, so we address the whole writing soul of the writer. And it's all, at, and, oh, and, and of course, we feature video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Yes, we do. Uh, right now, I've got one with Susie Moore, wonderful Susie Moore, uh, life coach. Uh, but next week, I'll have a, or next month, excuse me, uh, suspense author Michael Elias, but oh, fascinating guy. Worked in television, worked on all kinds of wonderful shows, classic shows, worked with Steve Martin a lot. We talked about that. We talked about novel writing. We talked, and interesting guy. So you see, we deal with all kinds of writers, interview all kinds of writers. That's all there, authormagazine.org, and we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, the PNWA, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955, and we're still doing it, and uh, we're going to keep doing it. Uh, pandemic or no, doesn't matter. Yeah, if you want to take a class with us, a virtual class, if you want to go to a virtual conference, stop on over to pnwa.org where you can sign up for all that. Uh, it's well worth your time. Yes, it is. Okay, so today's guest was introduced to me by, well, by one of the authors I interviewed recently, the lovely Laura Munson. Yeah, she said, you need to meet this guy. You seem, and she was right. So we talked and we had a wonderful conversation. And I said, got to have you on my show, Albert. And he said, okay. So Albert Flinda Silver is with us uh, today. He's a poet, memoirist, novelist, speaker, and workshop leader. Now his work has appeared in more than 100 literary journals worldwide, including what I think is pronounced Ziziva. I've seen that name for all these years. I've never tried to pronounce it. Ziziva, yes. And New American Writing. Hanging Loose, Jubilat, Exquisite Corpse, Jacket, Poetry Canto, Van Gogh's Ears, and many others. He's the author of several books of poems and the memoir Beamish Boy. He's also served as Marin County, California's very first Poet Laureate. And he has shared the stage with U.S. Poet Laureate uh, Kay Ryan and best-selling authors Maxine Hong Kingston, Cheryl Strayed, Elizabeth Gilbert, and legendary beat poet Michael McClure. He's also the founder of Writing as a Path to Awakening, which is a fabulous book, I should point out, but Writing as a Path to Awakening, he founded that, and it's all about an embodied, interconnected approach to creativity and writing, just like I like, and so he's with us today. Albert, how you doing? I am doing fabulous. Thanks, Bill. Really delighted to be here. So, Albert, uh, a lot of stuff, poetry, novels, workshops, uh, was it always writing for you? Was that really the, the, the path or did you, how did you come to that? No, I, uh, I, uh, was just writing about this this morning, as a matter of fact, yeah. uh, I came to writing via photography and I studied, uh, photography as an undergrad at the university of Colorado uh-huh. and, uh, then painted houses for a while and realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. <laughs> Yeah. So then I went back to uh, like, what do I do? I go back to art school, and uh, which took me to San Francisco, and where I wound up at the San Francisco Art Institute, 
and studying photography again, but then I, there I was in San Francisco at the Art Institute, and there were all these incredible people who were painting and sculpting and doing performance art and installation art and so forth and so on. And so I kind of fell in with this, this crew sort of hovering around Paul Koss, who's an installation artist and video artist and um, just an amazing guy. And, um, and I just started just doing all kinds of stuff and, and language just began to enter into the field. Oh. I, I found myself not, not making any photographs without titles that were very heavily thought about to the extent that they were sort of poems and they had to be a part of the artwork. Um, And then Bill Berkson, who is teaching art history there at the Art Institute, he's the legendary uh, Bay Area poet. He died a few years ago, Um, but he, he was teaching art history. We all had to go through Bill's class. One night he sends me to a poetry reading it, like he didn't literally like pack me up in a box and right. sit me there, but he pretty much inspired me. I wasn't doing anything. I was bumbling around the, the studios and he's like, Hey, there's this reading at the Cal theater. You should go check it out. I'm like reading. I don't like poetry. I don't, you know, right. this is not my right. He's like, I'm going to be reading. You should check it out. So I go down there and the Cal theater is a gorgeous theater um, out in Fort Mason. And it's an all-star cast. It's, oh. um, you know the the release party for the Norton Anthology of Postmodern American Poetry. Wow! And um, so all the Diane DePrima was there, and Lynn Higinian, and Alice Notley flew in from Paris, and Wow, uh, Ron Paget from New York, and it was just an incredible evening. And I was just, you know, I literally got hit over the. Well, it didn't get literally hit over the head. But <laughs> right. That to be a lightning bolt by something that that Paul Hoover, the, um, the editor said at the very beginning of his introductions, he was introducing the anthology and he read this piece from Jack Spicer, um, called imaginary elegies. I don't know if you know this uh, poem, but I don't, um, it's a fantastic, fantastic poem. And it has all these um, images of photography and references to photography. So I was wrapped and there's this one line where he goes, um, unbind the dreamers, poet be like God. And I was like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like that. No photographer yeah. ever said that. Right. So that was sort of the night I identify as my conversion to, to writing. Uh, that's right. You had, you had like a, you had like, like a, like a born again kind of experience <laughs> as a poet. Wow. <laughs> totally. Well, and if wow. you know Spicer, God is like, it's a mystical thing. He he sure. thought of poetry as this like form of magic and mysticism. Um, it wasn't yeah. like um, God, quick, go to church and study the Bible. Right. Um, not that kind of God. No. So no. We, uh, yes. And so I, I, I agree. I think uh, I too, poetry was one of my first ways into really understanding writing. And I was a person who was spiritual in nature, but didn't know it, didn't know what to do with it. But right. art was one of the places that allowed me to, be that way and connected me to mm-hmm. that in poetry for sure. Uh, you know, cause the thing about poetry is of all the art forms, all the written art forms, I think poetry requires, leaves the most re- room for the reader. You know, they kind of require the reader to finish the, circle, mm-hmm. you know, even more than fiction. That's right. Uh, and so it, when it works, boy, you feel like you've transported cause you've done so much. I think you did maybe more than the reader of, you know, uh, a novel for instance. 
you know? Well, it's, it's demanding. That's the thing of it. You know, that's yeah. why I think most Americans have a hard time with poetry because you got to do a little work. You know, yeah. And they're like, you know what? I did enough work practice. today. I've done enough work. I, yeah, exactly. now I just, and I get it. I get it. But yeah, man, when sure. it works for you, it's, it's something. So that is interesting. So you came to it and you know, you came to art through the avant-garde, you know, if you're talking about installation art and the art world, uh, was this in the 80s, or early 90s? When was this? This was the early 90s, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so you're talking about the avant-garde poetry and installation art. You're talking about things out of the mainstream. And so you came at art uh, from a, and when we talk about the avant-garde, we're talking about non-monetary, <laughs> usually. Like, that's not the driver. <laughs> You know, that's, that's an understatement. Yeah, well, I know, but it's true. But that does that does uh, root you in a particular relationship to the arts, which I will tell you, because I teach, and yeah, I know you teach writing too. Uh, I teach it, and mm-hmm. there are certainly people who have, you know, dollar signs in their eyes, poor, poor, poor pups, right when they start their writing right. career, and that I, I think that does can get in the way. It can indeed. And, no, I had and, no illusions from the get-go because I was I was in a engaged in a fringe art form. Yeah. And within that art form, I was on the experimental fringe, so I wasn't oh, even yeah. in the like you know the popular like Mary Oliver school. Where, right. You know, people right. or Billy Collins school where they right. actually sell books and, and <laughs> right. people show up to their readings. You know. Uh, you know, I was hovering around with these folks in New York City and in, in San Francisco, and we had our little coterie, you know, and, yep. and we published our little magazines. And But, you know, there was sort of 10 or 20 of us. Really. Right, right. Yeah, the poetry reading, when everyone there is, are, are the people who are reading and their boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> exactly. I've been to those. You know. Yeah, All it, right. was, um, it was both inspiring and at times depressing, sure. Sure. <laughs> depending well, some, on how you looked at it. Well, at some point, you have to say, you, you have to kind of make peace with reaching people doesn't mean selling out. In other words, finding a way to, to write in a way that you can connect with many people does not mean abandoning your, your artistic vision uh, or right. – yeah. Or yeah, selling out that is the two are not necessarily synonymous. And obviously, you began to move in that. So you and you wrote. So you you wrote. Um, was it so initially? It was poetry, I guess. Yeah, that was the first. Yeah, where for you, almost like twelve, fifteen years exclusively. Don't you think? So you wrote the you wrote Beamish Boy, and I, you know when I started writing memoir, uh, writing about my own life, I realized that I thought poetry was my first crack at memoir that there's something about, you know, obviously it's not memoir, but, and yes, sometimes you write like, you know, proof rock, you know, that's a character that he was writing. And sometimes you have characters, but a lot of times it's your take on life. Yeah. I mean, it's your Mm -hmm. experience. And it, and it struck me is that what I was doing in poetry and see if this resonates with you was similar to what I was doing with my, with memoir, which is you take something that happened and you've got to look at it from the perspective that will make it, interesting or profound or inspiring or whatever, but, and that poetry was my first time doing that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, looking at something profound as opposed to 
more like um, narrative or, or more right. memory related. Yeah. Just, I mean, um, just looking yeah, at I mean, your own I'm, life for, for source of material, really. Yeah, I was definitely wasn't really doing that consciously with the poetry. You know, I was right. more obsessed with music and with language. Right. And right. like, how could I convey um, a sensibility? Yeah. You know, a sensibility yeah. or an insight. Um, but then the whole memoir thing was just like a complete transformation, and it and that was sort of born out of the practice of of. Um, Meditation, you know. Someone really? Sent me to a. All yeah, right. So someone sent make me that to connection a, for me. How did how did how did meditation yeah, so, lead to Beamish Boy? Well, so I, I started um, going to. I used to drive out to from San Francisco and from from um, East Marin. I would drive out to Point Reyes and and these uh, places in West County to go hike and bike and you know get inspiration. Yeah. And I used to pass by this. Um, place on the side of the road it, it, I really didn't understand what it it said there was a sign there and it said Spirit Rock Mediation Center or at least that's what I thought it said <laughs> Mediation. see that's a mistake I would have made I totally would have done that <laughs> it turned out it was a meditation center and my right. friend like, had to correct me by smacking me in the head and, that, and then of course the following week was like you should come here and, and uh, we'll just sit in silence and, you know, and breathe. And I was like, Ugh. you know, it sounded yeah. terrifying, but right. I went and I sat and there was Jack Cornfield and he spent most of the time. Oh, it was Jack Cornfield poems. Yeah. Yeah. And he was reading oh. poems and uh, within like the first few months I, I was going there, he devoted an entire night to poetry. And I was wow. like, well, this is interesting. Yeah. Um, poetry and Divinity, you know, poetry and wisdom, poetry and waking up from these narrow perceptions you have of your own right. trauma, your own experience. Right. And, um, right. and then I, you know, and then things just started to become more narrative as my, you know, when you sit down to get quiet, at least for me, um, you know, my whole interior, interior repressed life began to unravel right. <laughs> and just right. show up. You know, the grief yeah. showed up and the terror yeah. showed up and the fear. And I was like, where is it all coming from? What is it? Yeah. Um, and so, and then, of course, I finally got into therapy and, you know, and then started teasing out all these these aspects of my life. And, you know, why did I drink so much for so long? And, you know, right. why did I almost right. kill myself? And, right. And then, yep. you know, and then I started reading memoirs and especially the, the drinking memoirs, you know, like the, <laughs> um, my favorites. Uh, being Augustine Burroughs, Dry. I don't know if you have read Dry. I have not. But, oh, oh, you know what? I was, God, I was going to interview Augustine Burroughs, and it fell through. I really enjoyed, because, was it, what was it? He wrote about how he running was. Running with Scissors? No, it was one of his that more recent, like, one book. of his later ones. But he talked about just being this raging alcoholic, but then watching uh, a shopping channel, and somehow that, Writing sort of cured him of the, the way the, in, the, in the memoir I read, his writing kind of cured him of the alcoholism. I don't know if that was true of the one you you read. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, I, I read those books. And I was like, wow. Yeah, not he's only great. does this resonate, but um, this is like this is kind of incredible. So then I just started reading more of them, and um, 
And then I just thought, like, wow, what would it be like to start writing some of my own story? Can yeah. I even complete a sentence? You know, I've been writing in lines for so long. I write to the other end of the page. I always stop before I get there. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then I became just fascinated. Like, how do people do that? Like, how do they write a paragraph that's that's comprehensive, that's that's engaging, that leads from one thought to another logically? Interesting. Interesting. That ends up telling the story, and um. And so it kind of went on from there, and then I just thought, like, well, i got to do this. i got to try this just to see if I can do it. Yeah, but you see, poetry is such, I, poetry is such a great discipline. It teaches you so much about writing. It teaches you about economy. Oh, okay. It teaches you about the sound of, of language, which, you know, the thing is, you can ignore the sound of language and still be a perfectly fine writer, but language has noises it makes, and they, you know, it I... It, it does. And I remember I, I found, when I read The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and I was 15, I was like, holy shit. I, you know, and, and, and Coleridge, I was like, I didn't realize, you know, I get something now. You know, it just mm-hmm. clicked through for me. So I just so I just think it prepare if you can get into it, it prepares you for prose in a way prose can't prepare you for poetry, I think. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I mean, I call it the, the ground of all great writing, the language of yeah. possibility. It's yeah. um, it's just a, such a rich and important place to start. And you think you know, of all the great writers, whether they're writing great American novels or they're our favorite songwriters, they all read poetry. Yeah. And yeah, many I of just, them practice writing it. I just think there's something about it, whether, you, whether you're going to be like a professional poet or not, there's just something about it that teaches you. I think it just teaches you about the how little you need to do something. Anyway, so you know, you, you said something earlier, which I thought was really uh, fascinating about about how meditation led to um, uh, your memoir. And I, I had a thought. This has only come to me very recently, and I wrote a little piece about it. But I'm going to write about more, which is that the power of learning how not to think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know, it's, it, I didn't as a young man. I liked to not think. Sometimes like I, that's why I could do sports and that's why mm-hmm. I could play music. But I thought it maybe was a weakness because I maybe I was a little bit of a simpleton because, you know, smart people were thinking all the time. And it struck me that. Right. Right. When exactly. Right. Because they're always thinking. But I've realized and I'll bet you do this. And we're going to I want to get to writing as a path to awakening. One of the things that struck me I've had when I teach writing is I have to teach my students how to begin writing, that there's a thing you have to do before you can move from your domestic life to your writing lot to writing that isn't automatic. And I realize what it is, is the ability to, like with meditate, like with meditation to stop thinking about what you had been thinking about. So you can get still. So the ideas can come to you that there's a stillness you have to mm-hmm. enter and serve for things to come. And it hadn't even occurred to me that I'd been practicing that as a boy, but not, but not seeing it as a strength. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. thought it was maybe, yeah. you know, cause I should be thinking more about stuff. What do you think of that? Right. Because the meditation says, stop thinking. Stop. stop Exactly. No, and and like you, I had this sort of terror that, you know, I was trained in art school, especially that, you know, you are judged by your brilliant idea. Like, that's how you succeed. That's that's what makes you awesome. Concept. And so the whole, yeah, especially, I mean, I got so heavy into the concept shit because my mentor was a, uh, a conceptual artist. Right. He was brilliant. And he showed all over Europe and I just, you know, I fell at his feet. Sure. And, um, and 
but he was, you know, he was also really smart and very humble, which took me a while to, to, to figure out. Um, and he was very experiential. You know, he used to take us up to the Sierra Nevada uh, for the weekend and um, like, yeah, we're doing our, our art seminar or sculpture seminar. And we're going to go up to the Sierras and drink beer and um, play (laughs) petanque and go rock climbing. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and in between, you know, people will set up and do some full installation pieces out in the, you know, in the yard or in the, abandoned swimming pool or wherever. Right. Um, but that was, I don't know, I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but it, it made me think about how important um, the visual art was to, in terms of nourishing my, um, my sense of the image and imagination yeah. and being yeah. able to translate that into language. Um, but so I lost talk the tangent to, of your... Well, so I talked to me about writing as, <laughs> as a path to awakening. One of the things, I think one of the reasons that Laura connected you and I is that I, I look upon writing as a, a... I mean, I like to write and tell stories, but it's also a means to understand myself and understand what living is. Not just writing about myself, but I find writing to be how I learn about life in a way, the creative process. And, and so when did you start teaching it and what led you to want to teach that specifically? Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, there was, I was on these sort of this dual from external appearances, a dual path of writing. And then I got heavily into the meditation thing. Right. And, you know, I started going to these day longs and, and I started finding that it, it really nourished my creativity and it really supported this practice of writing. And, you know, I never had any writer's block. I was never right. lost for ideas. And I attribute that to just remaining open and yes. willing yeah. to just receive and to pull from the eternal creative field that's basically always around us. It's always teeming yep. with stuff. I don't yep. even understand what that means, writer's block. But um, anyway, so there were these two paths. I mean, really one path, but but ultimately, you know, we can talk about them in terms of two paths. And, and they're just sort of merging together. And and I, I just, I don't know, for, at some point about 12 or 13 years ago, I just, I was at Spirit Rock. I wanted to teach meditation, but I didn't want to do it without creativity uh-huh. and without engaged practice of writing. So I... I just had this notion that like, what if we did something called writing as awakening or writing as a path to awakening? And I pitched the idea to spirit rock and, um, and they said, sure, let's, let's try it as a half day mm-hmm. workshop. And it, be, it was very popular. And then we did it the next year with a full day long and, you know, a hundred people showed up or something. And, wow. Wow. And then, so I kept doing it for about five years and then I thought, well, hmm, maybe I should, <laughs> maybe yeah. I should, pull the curriculum together into a book project. I already had this framework. Right. And, um, and uh, so I, I just started, you know, just thinking about like how this, I was also fascinated by the whole notion that, that, um, you know, meditation and mindfulness and waking up to sort of the, the truth of life, whatever that means is, is, uh, is, it's kind of different than, than engaging with the imagination, you know, and, and then creating artwork because you're thinking you're engaging the mind, right. When you're creating right. an artwork or when you're writing right. and when you're meditating, you're letting go. You're just yes. letting it all go. No attachment, no clinging, just 
cleansing the mind. And like, how do we reconcile those two? Well, but don't you, but don't you, when you write, I always think the first thing you've got to do is cleanse the mind. Because what I always feel like is I can't write until something has come to me. Like, I don't even know how to write until something has come to me. And things are always, just like Mm -hmm. you said, I love what you said about, you know, that field is always there. But I have to put my mind in the correct vibration to allow those things to come in. Otherwise, yeah, that's exactly it. Right. The right vibration. Yeah, Yeah, you just got to get there and then it comes in. And what I found, what I, I always say, I wish I could live how I feel. I, I want, I'm trying to live the way I write. I, that connected, that open, that non-judgmental. Because ideally, that's for me what I want. I don't want to judge. I don't want to know where it's going. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I want to just work with what's given to me. And then I leave my desk and I start wanting to control things a little bit, maybe, you know, but less and less. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because I feel so totally in when I'm writing. Yeah. And maybe when I'm not writing, oh, not yeah. quite I mean, when so you're, much. When you're cooking, you're cooking. And, you know, yeah. it's just sort of the flow is there and the ideas are resonating and the energy channels are open. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a profound and connected place. But it, it is very different than, you know, when you're fully immersed in a meditative state. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, people always talk, to, always say to me, and this is one of the, my little pet peeves, but they say to me things like, oh, well, you know, gardening is my meditation. Right, right. Or, you know, sweeping the deck is my meditation. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a, there's a meditative quality to that. Like there's a yeah. meditative quality to, to painting or right. even to certain aspects of writing. Yeah. But it's different. There's a, there's a qualitative difference when you, when you sort of take it to a next level in which there really is a, a, a letting go and it's a profound yeah. letting go. And it's, it's an uncomfortable letting go yeah. because y- you start to lose elements of your ego and that, that's right. you know, freaks, it freaks us out. But yeah. it's also, that's the gateway to flow to the flow state that you're that's right. describing. That's right. And the, because I think the ego is always tied in part to identity and an idea, you know, thoughts, yeah. ego is tied up yep. in thoughts. You know, I'm this thought, mm-hmm. this thought is real. And you have to let go of all thoughts, you know, and thoughts come to you when you're meditating, but it's the practice of saying, Oh, that's right. I'm thinking, okay, goodbye. And you let it go and you let it go and you let it go. <laughs> right. And, right. Cause you know, it just keeps coming back. But to that feeling of, uh, well, it's that great line from Course in Miracles, which is in my defenselessness, my safety lies, that sense of letting go of all protection. Mm. And in that moment, you feel at rest, at peace. And it's true. It's not quite the same as being in the flow of writing. Similar, but it's mm-hmm. not the same. Yeah. 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 Well, OK, so if people want to get on the path to awakening, they can buy the book, of course, buy the book, people. They- that's the, that's the easy they way. They don't even but have what? to buy it actually right now. What? They can, what? They can get it for – I'm giving it away for free. Holy uh, crap. Why are you doing that? All is, is um, shipping and handling. Wow. Um, they can help me out with like – I think it's like seven bucks for shipping and handling. Um, wow. And it's just – Where do they get it? Available free and it, um, at albertflindesilver.com. Wow. Whoa, what a deal. And People. Yeah. Do you hear that? So, He's giving it away. So, Al, it's, and this, but it's, this is worth far more than nothing. And so, 
so they can go to albertflindesilver.com and they can order their free copy of it. Free ish. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, free ish. I mean, it's yeah. All we're asking seven seven ninety five for shipping wow. and handling, and that just so I don't lose too much money. <laughs> no, that's you know I have to buy the books and then I have to send them out. Yes. To people. And, um, Whoa. It okay. also comes with a, a meditation program that's also free. So. Wow. All right. Um, well, that you can't beat that. What if do you? I mean, once uh, once all this nonsense is lifted, uh, will you be teach continue to teach workshops on this around? That is my dream, and that's what I've been doing for the past several years. Um, right. Yeah. All right. And you people said to you, "I want you to come to to Indiana and, and do it." Will you do it? Indiana. I'm just, I'm just picking. I just pick Terre Haute. Yes, they want you in Terre Haute. No, Would you do it? Yeah, for if they could pay my fee. All right, all right, good. Of course they'll pay your way. People West, are dying to West have Indiana's you. Indiana's hard. But, okay, um, good. I'd rather go to Seattle. Oh well, then we. Oh, we're we're lousy with people who would love this. We are filled with uh, people, and so yeah, we would definitely have you up here. Writing as a pathway. Okay, so they can find you at Albert Flynn de Silver, and they can even get the book for free. Or if they want, they can go on and they can buy it. They can buy it too. You can do that, people. Either it's up to you. Uh, all right. Well, Albert, of course we had a great conversation because you're a great guy, and we got lots of things we could have talked about. But uh, I got one more yeah. question for you. Uh, okay. We've already been talking about this, but I want you to think about it even deeper. Uh, finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything taught you what <laughs> writing has taught me anything uh it's taught me to be present yeah to be yeah. alive in this moment because this is it and i'm curious yep. about the entirety of it and by this i mean you know what i'm thinking about but also what you bill are thinking about and what yep. mary you are thinking about and everybody else and yep. just to be present for the incredible surprise of life Oh man, it's so about. true. It's so true. When that flow, I always think that flow state—that's what life feels like when you're present. Like that's what it yep. can be when you actually bring your attention to the present moment. I agree. Good for you, Albert. Okay, <laughs> listen, it's great having you on the show. Good luck with, oh, with thank you this book so much. and the next and the next and the next. Yeah, total pleasure and a delight. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. You are very welcome. Take it easy. Be well. Yes, people, be present. Hey, that's where creation happens. The canvas of creation is the present moment. It's not the future. Can't create the future. Can't create the past. It's only one place it happens, here and now. And it's a good place to be because it's only reality. Yes, it's not so bad. I will be back again next week with another guest. Ooh, and maybe by next week, I may have a special announcement. I can't make it yet. Ooh, but I might make it next week. So that'll be something to tune into, won't it? Yes, it will. Until then, thank you, RJ Jeffries. You're awesome. Thank you, Albert. And thank you, all of you. Be well and go find something you love to do and do it. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier 
about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.